Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you for the wonderful freedom that we have to be able to come here today and worship you openly and freely with no worries of retribution by the government. And Lord, I, I fear that so many people today are taking this freedom for granted. But Lord, let it not be said of us. We thank you for this freedom. A freedom that so many around the world do not have. Thank you that we can do this, that we can come and worship you in this way together. And Lord, we pray for those brothers and sisters around the world who are having to meet in secret. Oh Lord, give them strength to meet the persecution that they face. And let them not fall from our minds. For we should be there with them. In spirit. Supporting them with our prayers. Now today, Lord, as we come to this time of opening up your word, speak to our hearts, O Lord. And Lord, as you forgive us in Christ, Lord, teach us also to forgive. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, please open with me to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, we'll be looking at verses 21 through 35 this morning. Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. Today we are returning to kingdom parables. Last week we finished up the, uh, the solas of the Reformation, and today we go back to kingdom parables, and we should be here for the remainder of this year. And uh, so, kingdom parables... You remember the uh, purpose of the parables, just to kind of remind you. We saw at the beginning of our study in the kingdom parables that the parables serve two purposes. One, they are a, they are a judgment. They are a judgment on those who fail to heed the message of the kingdom as it was preached to them plainly. So they fail to respond to Jesus' ministry and Jesus' plain teaching of the gospel. And so, back there in the beginning, in Matthew chapter 13, we saw Jesus began to teach them in parables. But it's also a blessing. It's a blessing. It serves as a blessing for those who do receive the plain teaching of the gospel. As the Lord then explains the parables... It is a blessing in that it teaches us more about the kingdom. We think about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, it's intangible. It's invisible to our eye, and so we can't see it. And many of the principles that we see, kingdom principles that we see, they're kind of hard for us to understand. And so the parables make something that, take something that's intangible and make it tangible. Jesus uses these parables to illustrate, to take common things, things that we all know, things that his audience in his day knew very well, 
And he used those to explain and to illustrate these kingdom principles that he wants to bring out. And so they help us better understand the kingdom and the principles of the kingdom. So we are looking today at the blessing of the king of the, the parables as we see, look at the parable of the unforgiving servant, the parable of the unforgiven servant. servant. And this parable is aimed at disciples. He is teaching his disciples, and this teaching is aimed at his disciples to emphasize the importance of Christian forgiveness, the importance of Christian forgiveness. So if you found your place there in Matthew chapter 18, stand with me, if you will, in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often, will I, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of, the ser of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant? As I had mercy on you, and in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Amen. May the Lord have blessings of the reading of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And may he write its eternal truth on all our hearts. And you may be seated. Let me ask you this. Are you robbing God of his glory? Are you robbing God of his glory? You know, one way that we can rob God of his glory is by being unforgiving by being unforgiven 
Now think about that. What happens when the outside world looks in at the church and they see a church that holds on to, to grievances, who argues and fusses amongst themselves, who fails to forgive, who splits over menial matters, I mean, really, churches have split over the color of the carpet and the color of the drapes. Not over deep doctrinal uh, issues, but just simple things. That's what causes the greatest disturbances in the church. What do you think the world looking in on the church, seeing such unforgiveness among the people of God, think of God. They think he is a vengeful, unforgiving God whom they want no part of. When we fail to forgive, we rob God of his glory. You see, that's what we see here in this text this morning. That's what we must understand of this text this morning. When we fail to forgive our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, dear friend, we rob God of His glory. Furthermore, we rob ourselves of the joy of the Lord, and we bring upon ourselves the chastisement of God. Indeed, what we see here today, what this parable is teaching us, we see the importance of Christian forgiveness. For failure to forgive as God and Christ has forgiven you produces dire consequences. We'd say that again. Failure to forgive as God and Christ has forgiven you, dear friend, produces dire consequences in your life. As we get started this morning, let me first begin by setting up the context of this parable. We see here that the, uh, if you look back there in Matthew chapter 18, or chap verse, chapter 18, verse 15, I'll get it right. If you look back at Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, uh, they're talking here about forgiveness and up there it says Jesus he was telling them if your brother sins against you go and tell him his fault between you and him alone if he listens to you you have gained your brother you see the image that Jesus is trying to paint for them if you have a problem with your brother or sister in Christ. Now, this is this parable that we're looking at today primarily has to do within the church. Jesus is teaching about forgiveness among Christians. If your brother, or you could say your sister, your brother or sister in Christ, if they have something against you or if you have something against them, what you need to do is you need to go and you need to work it out. You need to go tell them the fault. You need to go tell them the problem, the offense, whatever it is, and work it out. And he goes on and says, if, if that brother won't listen to you, well, then you take two or three more along with you, and you go and talk to him with the one or two or three more. 
And if he still fails to reunite, or be reconciled, then you bring that brother before the church. That the church may begin to do church discipline on that brother because they are not living in love in the body of Christ. You see, that's the context here. We're looking at the believers who are failing to, to forgive one another, to love one another, even as God in Christ has loved us. And then this leads to Peter asking this question in verse 21. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Now, it is important that we, we notice here that, that it is within the Christian fellowship that he is talking. But we need to understand also that the, just because this, the focus of the parable is within the church, how often will I forgive my brother? That no way excuses us from failing to forgive those outside the church. Christians ought to be the most forgiving of all the people on earth. So Peter, he goes here and he says, how many times should I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Seven times? Now we need to understand what Peter is getting at here. There was, according to one commentator, there was a rabbinic, rabbinical view back in that day that one need to forgive his brother only three times. It reads, if a man commits a transgression, the first, second, and third time he is forgiven, the fourth time he is not forgiven. So that was a, a Jewish teacher who was teaching this. This was a common view in Jesus' day. <clears throat> Excuse me. But Peter here, he more than doubles that, right? Peter is, is catching what Jesus is throwing out. And so he understands that we're, we're supposed to rise above what the common folk do. And so he, he more than doubles the, the common rabbinical view of the day. He says, how many times am I supposed to forgive my brother? Seven times? Jesus says, no, 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 Peter. <laughs> Not just seven times, but in this translation, 77 times. Some of you may have a translation that says 70 times, seven times, which would be 490 times. But the point you need to understand here is, is that Jesus is not giving this maximum amount of times that we are to forgive. He, he is pointing to the fact that we're always to forgive. Christians are always supposed to forgive. You're never to be unforgiving. That's what God expects of us. And so he illustrates that point with this parable. And there are three lessons that we need to learn from this parable today, this parable of the unforgiven servant. The first lesson is this. God completely forgives the enormous debt of sin owed by his children. God completely forgives the enormous debt owed, the enormous debt of sin 
owed by his children. Dear friend, if you are a child of God today, you have been forgiven an enormous debt of sin. Let's look at that passage. They're looking there in verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to this. It's like this. It may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. Now, this is a, a king in the, that day. You think of uh, maybe someone like Herod. Herod was a, a king under Caesar. And so as the disciples are hearing this, that's the kind of, of thing that they're thinking about. They're thinking of someone like Herod. And these servants that he is talking about, they're not your common servants who would, you know, pour up the bath or, or wait tables or something like that. They're talking about someone who is a government official. He is a servant of the government and a servant of this king. This is someone who would go out and do business on behalf of the king. Perhaps even, and many commentators suggest this, that it was a tax collector. Tax collectors back in that day would often put in bids for the certain region that they would have there. So they would have this area over here and they would put in bids. I will get this amount of, of taxes from this region of your kingdom, dear king. And so the highest bidder would, would get to go and collect taxes there. And it could be that is what is in view here. It's that kind of thing. This is a servant who goes out on behalf of the king and carries out business in the kingdom. And so he decides to wishes to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him. Notice he didn't come freely. He was brought to him. And was there reason for him to be brought to him? Who owed him 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents. Now, we don't understand that language of talents. What does that mean? That he owed him 10,000 talents. Well, let me put it into words that we would understand. A talent is equal to 20 years wages for a laborer in that day. Now, let's bring it over into our terms. All right, let's just, uh, for simplicity's sake, and we could imagine this, that a, a laborer today would make uh, $10 an hour. $10 an hour at, at eight hours a day, at five days a week, would equal $400 per week. That $400 per week would come out to $20,800 per year. Now, when you take $20,800 per year times 20 years, that gives you $416,000. That's one talent, $416,000. $416,000. Now, this guy owed the king 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents. 416,000 times 10,000 equals 4 billion 160 million dollars. 4 billion 160,000 Dollars. I don't know if anybody got four billion 
4.1 billion in your, your bank account? You could just write this check, this check out to the king? I don't. And the point that Jesus is making here, this is an impossible amount for this guy to pay back. He can't do it. There's not enough time in his life for him to pay back what he owes this king. He owes him an astronomical amount of debt. And so what happens? And since he could not pay, of course he couldn't pay it, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment be made. Now understand that even at that, even selling this servant, his wife, his children, and everything this servant owns, this could never pay back the debt this man owes the king. The point is not that he would recoup all of his money. This is a punishment. This is a judgment upon this man for this great debt. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring the king. He humbled himself before the king, right? He humbled himself before the king. Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. Now he knew he couldn't. But he humbly falls upon his face before this king, begging him, Give me. Forgive me. Give me. And what does the king do? And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. All of the debt. Every penny of the debt. 4.1 billion dollars of debt. And the king just says, forgiven. Cancel your debt. It's done. Because he fell on his face before him humbly. The king had mercy upon him. And he was gracious to him. There's no expectations here whatsoever for this man to repay the debt. He's, he, the king didn't say, okay, all right, go out and do the, the best you can and repay what you can. No, he, he puts no stipulations on it. He just forgives him. It's done. It's over. You owe me all of this, but I forgive you. Oh, what great mercy this king shows toward this man. He forgives him every ounce of the debt. And don't you know, dear friend, that God's forgiveness is just like this king? That's what he says. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to this king. This king in this this parable is God Himself who forgives us of a great amount of debt. Dear friend, God completely forgives the enormous of debt you owe because of your sin. That's how your debt looks. It's $4.1 billion worth of debt. And, and that is not even compared to the sin of our sin against God. I mean, in comparison, that wouldn't even do it. We would have to throw in trillions and trillions of dollars to kind of even get close to what our debt to God would be for our sin. And God forgives us all of it. 
He forgives us everything. Nothing is left on the table. Nothing is left in our account. It's wiped clean. All the debt paid for, done, over with. Dear Christian, do you want to learn how to forgive someone? Are you holding on to unforgiveness in your life and you say, I want to forgive? I want to forgive. Do you want to learn how to forgive? And start grasping the enormous amount of debt that God forgave you of. Just try to grasp that. Understand. See the life of sin that you have, have lived and will live. All the debt of sin that is on your account. And God wiped it all out. He forgave you every bit of it. You were children of God's wrath. And God forgave you. And wiped your debt clean. Every action, every word, every thought contrary to God's will is sin. And God forgave you. God forgave you. No strings attached. No strings attached. He forgave you every bit. And understand this, dear friend, that God, His forgiveness, forgiving you of all your sin, it came at a high price to Him. It came at a very high price to Him. I remind you of, of Jesus when he goes to, to, the, to the Lord's table, to the Passover meal, and he institutes the Lord's Supper. What does he say? Take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you, which is broken because of your sin. Take, drink, for this is my blood poured out the new covenant in my blood. His body was broken. His blood was poured out so that you and I could know the forgiveness of God. God not only forgives, but He sacrificed Himself in His Son Jesus Christ to forgive us of our debt. Do you grasp that? It's not just like God said, okay, you're forgiven, I'll write it off. No, the debt had to be paid because God is a just God. The debt had to be paid and God came and paid the debt. He lived in perfect obedience to the Father's will. He didn't deserve it. He had no debt to repay. But he hung on that cross on, for you and for me. So that we might be forgiven. So that our debt might be wiped clean. He became a child of God's wrath so that we could become children of God. Oh, the debt we owe God for his forgiveness. He forgave us everything, everything in Christ Jesus. What a good, forgiving God. In Christ, 
God completely forgives the enormous debt of sin that we owe. Now here's the second lesson that we learn from this parable. All the sin committed against us, all the sin that others commit against us is minor compared to the enormity of our sin against God. All the sin committed against us is minor compared to the enormity of sin of our sin against God. As the story continues there, look in verse 28. But then, but when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seized him. He began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. Now, let's put this in context. Let's get us understanding. We need to understand what a denarii is. A denarii, one denarii equals one day's wage for a laborer. One day's wage for a laborer. So, if you're doing the math, that's $80 a day. $80 a day. That's one denarii. This other servant owed a hundred denarii. Well, 80 times a hundred is $8,000. $8,000. Now that we could pay off. Right? billion dollars. Yeah, we could do $8,000. See, this is a minimal amount, a trifle amount in comparison. And we see sin is real, and and people do commit sin against us. They offend us. They hurt our feelings. They, They step on our toes. They do bad things against us. We understand that. That's real sin. But the sin that other people commit against us cannot even compare to what we have committed against God. And though this other servant's sin, his debt was so minimal, this servant who had just received the forgiveness of the king is unwilling to forgive Look there in verse 30, he refused and went and put him in prison, that is a type of debtor's prison, until he should pay the debt. The servant who had been forgiven so much was unwilling to forgive such a little debt as this. You know, this reveals something about our very own nature. You know, we have a tendency to be unforgiving ourselves, don't we? We tend to hold on to grudges. Uh, in fact, I would, I would guess that there's many here you're holding on to grudges. There's probably some here, you're, you're even holding on to grudges as far back as high school, if you're not in high school right now. As far back as high school. Some of you are probably even holding a grudge from an old girlfriend or boyfriend. Or if not your own girlfriend or boyfriend, your spouse's old girlfriend and bo- or boyfriend. Right? You hold on to these grudges. That's, that's how we are. We hold on to these grudges. Stupid little grudges. That ought not to matter a bit. And we hold on to them and we hold things against people. 
That's how we are. That's how this old natural flesh likes to do. When someone does us wrong, we want an account for that wrong. We want vengeance and revenge for those wrongs. Dear friend, hear this. All the sin committed against you. Every act that you're holding on to. Every sin that you're holding on to, refusing to forgive, it's a minor, minor thing compared to the sin that you have committed against God, of which God has forgiven you. Whatever grudge you're holding on to, dear friend, in the greater schemes of things, it is a minor thing. Therefore, let go of it. Let it go. Give the offense over to God and be free from that. For God has forgiven you of so much more. In his book, Lee, the, the Last Year, Charles Flood reported that after the Civil War, Robert E. Lee visited a Kentucky lady who took him to the remains of a, a grand old tree in, her, in the front of her house. There she bitterly cried that its limbs and trunks had been destroyed by federal artillery fire. She looked to Lee for a word of, condemn, of, condemning, of condemnation toward the North, or at least a, a sympathizing uh, at least sympathizing with her loss. After a brief silence, Lee said to her, Cut it down, my dear madam, and forget it. What grievance are you holding on to in your life? What are you being unwilling to forgive someone else of? Cut it down and forget it. Let it go. God in Christ has forgiven you of so much. How can you hold on to so little? Failure to forgive comes at a high price. God completely forgives the failure to forgive comes at a high price. God completely forgives the enormous debt of our sin owed. And all of the sin committed against us is minor compared to the enormity of our sin against God. But here is the thing you desperately need to see, dear friend, today in this final lesson that we learn from our text. Failure to forgive robs you of the Lord's joy and provokes His chastisement. Failure to forgive robs you of the Lord's joy and provokes the Lord's chastisement. Notice the verdict that comes down. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have made, had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailer until he should pay all his debt. 
so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Notice the verdict of this king. You wicked servant. That term there, wicked, means morally corrupt. This king is saying that this, this man failing to forgive his fellow servant so little of amount after the king had forgiven him of such a great amount, this is a moral failure. Dear friend, if you fail to forgive someone after you have been forgiven so much by God, it is a sin. It is a moral failure. It's not a trifle thing. You continue to sin against God as long as you hold on to unforgiveness. And he delivers him, because of this moral failure, he delivers him over to be tormented by the jailers in debtor's prison. Now there's a, an objection that arises here. Many people will say, well, wait, wait a minute. Surely then, he can't be talking about Christians. Is he going to put Christians in jail to be tormented? Yeah, he's talking about Christians. So also will the Father do to you if you fail to forgive your brother and sister in Christ from the heart. He is talking about Christians. Now we can't take the parable, and it is a parable, but we have to learn its lesson, and we have to interpret it by what all of Scripture says. So we can't take it to the extent to say that God throws them in hell Right? Sends them to hell for their unforgiveness. But can God torment us in this life for our unforgiveness? And yes, He can. And yes, He will. God chastises His children. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 8 says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the, the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have, have to endure. God is treating you as sons. But what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. What Jesus is talking about here, when we fail to forgive others in Christ... We are inviting chastisement and discipline upon ourselves. And God will torment us. He will torment us for our lack of forgiveness. We see this illustrated even in, in Scripture. In 1 Corinthians, Paul is addressing a situation there within the church where a member of that church is living in, in sin. 
And he charges the church to bring him under discipline. And he says to them, 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 5, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among the pagans, for a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you, for though... For though absent in body, I am present in spirit, and as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man, catch this, to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. For the Lord did torment his children if they fail to forgive as he has called them to forgive. You betcha he will. He will send the spirit of bitterness on you to devour you, to break you, to drive you to forgiveness. Christ, in the model prayer that he gives, I remind you, instructs us to pray like this, forgive us, Lord, our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And going on, he says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. If you fail to forgive, the Father will discipline you. He will torture you and torment you. out of love to teach you forgiveness. And when God is in the role of disciplinarian, you are robbed of His joy. Think about that. When we discipline our children, fun time is over. When our children come under discipline, fun dad is put to the side. And the harsh disciplinarian has to come forward. When children are, are obedient, we can have fun together. We can have joy, experience joy together. Laugh and have fun. But when disobedience comes in, joy gets set to the side. And it's the harsh disciplinarian that must come out. Fun time is over. If you're holding on to sin, the sin of unforgiveness... The Father has to be disciplinarian. And you are robbing yourself of His joy. And you are inviting His discipline in your life. Failure to forgive as God in Christ has forgiven us produces dire consequences, dear friend. It robs us of the Lord's joy and provokes His chastisement in our lives. 
Therefore, friend, forgive even as you have been forgiven. He gives us the perfect example. He has forgiven us of so much. How could we cling on to so little? Oh, church, forgive. Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God and Christ forgave you. When Jesus hung on that cross, with his mockers at his feet, mocking him and spitting on him. He could have cried, Father, consume them! But instead he said, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. Dear friend, are you holding on to unforgiveness in your life? Is there a brother or sister in Christ that has offended you? Has done something to you? May have seemed significant, may seem significant to you, but it's such a little thing in comparison to what God has forgiven you. Are you clinging on to that unforgiveness? Causing a break to be there between you and your other brother and sister in Christ? As God in Christ has forgiven you, forgive. Let that bitterness go. If you need to, go to that person. Work it out. Talk it out. But be reconciled in brotherly and sisterly love. Now if you're here today and you don't know the forgiveness of God, because you don't have a, a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Today, you can experience the forgiveness of that first servant who owed such a great amount of debt. Because of your sin and your rebellion against God, your debt of sin is astronomical. You can never repay it. But God in His grace and love sent His Son, Jesus Christ, who lived in perfect obedience to God's law and God's will, and yet went and died on the cross in your place and was raised again so that you could experience reconciliation with God so that you might be forgiven every ounce of sin you owe. If you will only turn to Jesus and believe, Trust in Him and you will be forgiven. You can experience that kind of forgiveness and learn to forgive from Christ. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, we confess to You today And these old bodies of flesh, Lord, they don't like to forgive. These bodies of flesh like to cling to wrongdoings. But Lord, teach us forgiveness. Teach us obedience. 
by the power of your Spirit and Christ's work on the cross. Teach us obedience. Teach us forgiveness. Let us forgive one another. As the world looks in upon us, Lord, let them see your love and your forgiveness in action as we love and forgive one another. Oh Lord, if there's one today, certainly there is more than one who has never experienced your forgiveness. Oh Lord, let them see Jesus today. Let them know forgiveness that comes through him. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.